for my life. Amen, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And just want to acknowledge those of you that are joining us for our series, Back to the Future of Revelation on End Time Events. This is an exciting series, um, some perspectives that we want to give you that the Lord has been dealing with us about these, um, the revelation of end things and um, really helping you to understand it from a perspective that's full of faith, hope, and love, um, not of fear um, and judgment and dread and lack and, and uncertainty. And so please um, like, share, uh, please watch us there on, on Facebook Live, or um, even better yet, uh, you can always go out to our YouTube channel because all the messages are there. They're right there in order. They're really easy for you to download um, and to watch from your phone and or your computer. And so I just encourage you, if you haven't taken advantage of the technology, Colossians tells us that all things were made by him for him. So YouTube isn't wasn't created by God or God didn't allow it to be created for YouTube to become spewtube. All right. It's not supposed to be for a bunch of filth and junk. It's supposed to be so that we can get the gospel out and you are able to capture hold of truth and go back and, and pull it down and, and listen to the messages on demand. So do that and uh, keep continue on with us as we go forward in our series. All right. So, um, you know, we've been, we have these uh, seven objectives that we've given you for, for this um, series. And we said our first objective is to provide perspective into God's prophetic scriptures, that prophecy is actually God calling his shot in advance, and we want to see what he says about it, right? And we gave you a reference scripture, Isaiah 46 and 10, that God declares the end from the beginning. In ancient times, things are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God calls his shot, and however he calls it is the way it's going to be. Two, to illuminate end-time events that is consistent with all the other texts of Holy Scripture, full of hope, faith, and love. Three, to acknowledge that God is both full of grace and mercy and also judgment and vengeance. There are warming scriptures, but also warning scriptures. Four, to highlight patterns, principles, and personality profiles that appear repetitively in Scripture, enabling us to look backward but see forward. And that's one of the things we're going to do um, today. Five, to develop a prophetic viewpoint that informs our view on global events, but is not unduly influenced by them, such that we try to conform biblical prophecy to current events, resulting in speculation, not spiritual expectation. Six, to motivate you to be about your father's business through an understanding of God's prophetic time clock, the most exciting part of the games in the final seconds. All right. So if we really understand and we see the signs of things winding up, then the expectation is then you're supposed to step your game up, right? And, and the thing that we do to influence Jesus' return is we preach the gospel in the sphere of authority that God has given us, that we, we rise up and be a witness and let both the, the truth and our life be a witness to the gospel that we that uh, we subscribe to and believe. And then finally, finally, number seven, to give you comfort, confidence, and hope that God has a plan for your deliverance 
from the dark from darkness as he ushers in a new age. I'm giving you these eight perspectives, these eight um, critical perspectives on end time events, and so we'll go there. And some of these, and we're walking our way through a list, and we're actually down to number five, and we started in number five, and we'll go into that some more today. Number one, we said is the preeminence principle. Jesus is the subject. Why is that? Why is that so important, Pastor David? Because sometimes people read in time events, and then the Antichrist seems bigger than the Christ. By the way, certain people teach it. And we know that that's not true, because Revelation um, says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the first statement of the book, that we're supposed to get insight on who Jesus is. Now, that makes sense, because that's the focus of the rest of the book. Why would this one book within all of the books of the Bible be different? And we say, no, it's not different. He is the preeminent one. So when everything we're looking at, we're going to see what kind of revelations can we get about who Jesus is? What does he look like in the unveiling? Number two, we said all the scriptures form a single book written by a heavenly altar. It's 66 connected books, not 65 plus one appendix we aren't supposed to read or understand right? All scripture is given by God and is profitable, right? Number three, we said prophetic scriptures give us a sense of time, timing, and the times so that we can be in tune with the will of God in our generation, not drunk and disorderly like the world. That's, that's a very, very important point. Number four, there is a, a principle of prophetic pattern repetition that occurs in scripture, Often, biblical scholars find one instance of prophetic fulfillment and lock onto it as if it's the only one. Yeah, that's a big important point, right? That's, that's one of the things that when we're teaching on these things that we do differently than some is we, we talk about, here's, you know, we acknowledge that, okay, this scripture has already been fulfilled. Well, just because it has been fulfilled once doesn't mean that's the only fulfillment. For instance, the scripture in Malachi says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, that God would send Elijah the prophet. Okay? Well, clearly John the Baptist is a fulfillment of that. Clearly John the Baptist is. Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, they said Elijah would come, and he has come. And he was referring to John the Baptist. What I'm saying is that that's one fulfillment, but that's not the only fulfillment. John the Baptist came before the great day of the Lord, but the terrible day has yet to come. Okay? So that's what we mean when we say some people lock onto one and say it's all done. God is not a one and done God. Okay? And then finally, not finally for as far as the list is concerned, but finally the one that we're going to get into some more today there is a pattern of prophetic types and shadows that foreshadowed the first coming of Christ. This is also true of the second coming. Now, let's go into um, 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 13. I'm going to do this. This is review. We, we hit on this last time, so I'm going to just read the passages of Scripture and then go through the 12 quick points that we talked about last time. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 13. All right, hallelujah, First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There is an inheritance that you hope for. It's reserved in heaven, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's a last day salvation. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That, sir, that phrase there, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is the same as in the book of Revelation, the first statement, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, yes, I do, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Man, we used to sing about joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. So the Old Testament prophets prophesied about some things that we would experience, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To reveal it to them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering. It was revealed to them that they weren't even preaching for their own benefit. Isaiah knew he wasn't talking about when he said, by his stripes you were healed. He knew that healing wasn't his yet. He knew that healing was for you and me. To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us, that they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at, again, that same phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right? Now, we have 12 quick points, and I'm going to just speed through this because this, uh, this is just review, but I want to make sure we pick off from where we were before. All right? Number one, we said part of what we gain through our new birth experience um. And the resurrection is a lively, living hope. Two, that hope is incorruptible and is an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance in heaven with your name on it. There is an inheritance in heaven that nobody else can get because it's yours. Three, we right now are being kept by God's power through faith. Okay? For the, there is an end time salvation given to us where... We believe and expect God to carry us up with the church, with Jesus when he returns for the church. Yes, I am one of those people that believes in God catching away. And when he starts to catching, I'm going. And if I need to, <laughs> I was one of Bishop's things, Bishop Jabert. He would say, if I got to get the process started by, <laughs> by just jumping a little bit to give him a little head start, I'm going to help him in Jesus' name. All right. No, Pastor David, no, no, I don't believe it takes all of that. Okay, that's a little humorism. But 
You get the point. Five, in the meantime, as we get closer to the end, we will have trials that test the sincerity of our faith. We will have trials to test the sincerity of our faith. All right. There is a tribulation that I expect to be delivered from because I read you in First Thessalonians that, though, that God intends to deliver us from the destruction that's coming on the world. But there is a testing that Satan's going to do to make sure, you know, that you really in it to win it. But I'm in it to win it. I don't have a plan B. I don't plan on going no other place. OK. All right. If you want to test me then let's try it because I don't have nothing else. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not going no other place. This is it for me. This is last stop, <laughs> okay? All right? Six, if we pass the test when we see Jesus unveiled in all his power, we shall receive praise, honor, and glory. Not he, but we. And that praise, honor, and glory will, not, will come from him to us, Right? We saw Stephen being stoned. And the scripture says, Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God, stood up and said, that's my boy down there. That's, I, come on home, son. I'm calling you in. He stood up because that dude stood up for Jesus. All right? And so our, our commitment is no matter what else happens, right, I want to have this stuff so deep in me that if somebody pulled the gun in front of me and said either deny Jesus Christ or die, then I'm like, man, then you're going to have to pull the trigger, bro, because this is it. I don't have nothing else to do. All right? I don't want my faith to be found lacking. Okay? All right. That was number six. Number seven, one, one objective of our faith is for our souls to be matured and conformed to him so that we can represent him with the right character, culture, and nature. He said, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The salvation of your souls is not the same thing as, as your spirit being saved. Okay, because you got saved the first day, and we say, look at your hands, and your hands look new. Your hands, if your hands had corns and, and they was all hard before you got saved, they still hard, right? Your feet, your feet, like thinking my feet, and my feet did too. No, my feet still had, the, they still looked the same way they did before. Now, what changed might be my perspective on those things, but those things in and of themselves didn't change. In the same way, the mindset that I had before I got saved, minus that one decision, still I deal with those same thought patterns. They didn't just leave me just because I made Jesus Christ my Lord. So this says that one of the places that when we're unleashing the increase of faith, that we apply faith to the area of our soul. I confess over my mind that I have the thoughts of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I say that, and then I begin to believe that his thoughts are being downloaded to me. You're a person, and before you got saved, you had a nasty attitude. You, you tell yourself, no, 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 my attitude has been transformed by Christ. I'm being renewed in the spirit of my mind. And I find scriptures to confess that over myself. Number eight, the prophets of old saw that this character development coming to us, which they could not fully access since they didn't yet have the new nature we receive in Christ. They didn't have that. The Lord hadn't yet laid upon him the iniquity of them all. 
Now our iniquity, we don't have to stay with it forever. Because, because Jesus <laughs> was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That thing, they saw it, but they didn't walk in it. All right? Number nine, they understood that this character development had to be first preceded by Jesus' first coming, death, burial, and resurrection. Right? Number 10 is the key point that I get from, it said that the spirit of Christ in them testified of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So then the spirit of Christ came to them long before Jesus Christ came into the world, right? The spirit of Christ was in here on the apostle, excuse me, on the prophets. Jesus said it this way. He said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. That means Abraham, as a prophet, saw Jesus coming. Moses said, there's a prophet coming like me. You hear him. They saw Jesus. Isaiah saw him on a cross. They saw him, and they had prophetic words about his ministry and life. Number 11, they knew that, that they were ministering things that would be accessed by those who were on the other side of Christ's resurrection. Glory to God. That's why I don't throw away Old Testament prophecies and say they're all done. They didn't even, they said stuff that they couldn't get. They knew that they were writing stuff that they weren't going to be able to walk in. I remember riding in a car um, with uh, after a service in, in the Bahamas with Dr. Miles Monroe. We were going to go out to dinner, and um, I think uh, Lady Nedra and Ruby had gone um, with, um, with his wife. I can see her face, and I can't think of her name. Uh, yeah, Mama Ruth. And, uh, and so I rode with Dr. Miles, and um, we were just talking about his revelation in the kingdom, and I was reading his books. But now, you know, it's one thing that had a book. It's another thing to be sitting with the author. That'll preach all by itself, won't it? Yeah. And, um, and so he said to me, David, he said, I know I have given truths about the kingdom, but in some ways, the generation that I'm in is so stuck in some of their religious tradition that they can't fully access the things I'm, I'm, I wrote in my books. He said, but he, he believed that there was a generation in the future after he had passed off the scene that would be able to access this truth and walk in it to the way he saw it in Revelation. He knew he was writing beyond his lifetime. That's what, that's what the apostle Peter is saying about the Old Testament prophets. They knew that they were writing things that they would never experience. Because when you're writing prophecies, that means you're talking about some time in the future. You might not ever see it, but just because you, you, you haven't seen it doesn't mean you aren't persuaded that it's coming. Okay? Finally, number 12. Therefore, keep your mind focused and hope. Maintain the blueprint. Remember all this stuff we talked to you about hope of the grace of God being the means by which you ascend 
are carried up at the unveiling of Jesus Christ at his second coming. All right, I, I, I hope I, I envision Jesus coming for me. And no matter what else is going on around me, Pastor David is rising up. Just like Jesus rose up when he was with his disciples at the Mount of Olives. And they watched him rise and be carried out of his sight. Yeah. And I see myself going up just like he did. Okay? All right. All right. There are five major types of Christ in the Old Testament. Let's look at... um, Let's look at that media team on, my, on the PowerPoint. There are five major types of Christ. This is what we're going to talk about. We said that there were these Old Testament types and shadows of Christ before his first coming, and they also have impact of him on his second coming. So we'll go down through this list. First of all, we see there's a bunch of shadows of Christ in the Old Testament, but there's five major personality types that I see from Scripture, and these are the five, okay? So he is, number one, he's the last Adam, right? So that means there's something about the first Adam that I can look to that gives me some specialized insight into Jesus Christ, okay? Second, he's the priest after the order of Melchizedek. So then I need to know some things about who Melchizedek is. Third, he's the seed of Abraham, Abraham is so pivotal that there's so many different things embedded in him that it's hard to just tie in on a single one. Abraham is that pivotal um, to the faith. Fourth, he is that prophet like Moses. All right? Moses said, there's a prophet coming like me. Hear him. Everybody else understood God in visions and dreams, but God spoke to Moses face to face. Right, God not only speaks to Jesus face to face, Jesus is the face of the invisible God. Okay, and then finally, He is the King that sits on the throne of David. So, these are five characters in the Old Testament that give specialized insight into who Jesus Christ is. All right, let's look at the first one. He is the last Adam. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read verses 45 through 49. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 through 49. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And after the spirit, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Okay, so just like Adam was the first of a new species of being, right, who is made in the image of God, Jesus is the the image of the invisible God and the brightness of his glory, okay? Just like 
we took on the nature. The first Adam was a living soul. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. Okay, do you see how, how the scripture is doing this old and then giving you that that old is a type of something new? And then it calls a second shot, and it says, we have borne the image. We all humanity bears the image of this first Adam. Those of us that have made Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives will bear the image of that last Adam in his glorified body. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we do know this. When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay? So that has to do with this. That's why we, we understand that certain part of Jesus being the first of a new species of being by looking at Adam as the first. All right? He's also the priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. And then we're going to go down to chapter 7, verse 10. Hallelujah. And it says, verse 19 talked about the hope that was beyond the veil. And it says, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 1 of chapter 7 says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So he says he didn't have a natural genealogy. He was something of a specialized figure, okay? Melchizedek was. That's what that said, isn't it? All right? Verse 4 says, Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who, who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Now, when we read a lot of scriptures in the Old Testament about tithing, they, they read about people tithing to Moses and Aaron and Aaron's son. But this is way before that. This is way before that. Those people, aren't, those people aren't even yet on the planet because Abraham hasn't had Isaac, who's had Jacob yet when this is happening in Genesis chapter 14, all right? Verse 6, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them received Abraham, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better or the greater. That means as great as Abraham was, and the whole world says Abraham is great because God promised his name would be great. The three monotheistic religions, right, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all call Abraham a great man. 
But as great as he was, this scripture says Melchizedek was greater because the person who is able to confer the blessing is the greater one. All right. Verse 10, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. That's why your pastor says you tithe at destiny generation, but your tithing spiritually is done to Jesus. That's why we take the time that we take to pray over our seed is because you are saying spiritually, you're tithing to the person who lives forever. God, I am at the altar of destiny generation, but I'm presenting my seed, my tithe to my priest after the order of Melchizedek. Then because Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, he has to say over you what Melchizedek said over Abraham. Blessed be David. I say this all my time, so I'm telling you what I say. Blessed be David and Nedra and Ruby of the Most High God. David, Nedra, and Ruby are possessors of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God that has given David, Nedra's, and Ruby's enemies into David, Nedra, and Ruby's hands. Pastor David, where you get that? Genesis 14. That's what Melchizedek said. Look at it, 18 through 20. Now, that's more than... I'm tithing so the windows of heaven and I won't be cursed with a curse because Christ has redeemed me from the curse. I've gone back before the curse. There was no curse in his tithe. And because I'm of faith, then I walk in the steps of faith that Abraham took. And that was something that Abraham did by faith. And he received a blessing because his promises couldn't be fulfilled without that blessing being conferred. Well, hold it. Christ is in you, and you're heirs of the promise. But the tithe still unlocks your promise, the blessing to accelerate your promises, just like it did for Abraham. All right? Verse 9, even Levi who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Oh, so you're saying that there are generations in my future that's going to be affected by my tithes. My future generations are affected because I tithe now. Yeah, there's a reason why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. Ah, you trying to put people under the law. See, this, there's no law in this. Moses is, Moses is still in the loins, so the law is not yet on the planet. Okay? So we're not talking Mosaic covenant, which is the law. We're talking Abraham covenant, which is a faith. He's believing God, and he is tithing so that a blessing can be released on him to accelerate the promises of God on his life. So the next time somebody tells you, we don't, I don't tithe because it's old covenant, because it's the law, you already know that they don't know what they're talking about, Right? Okay, so we don't, we just, 
God bless them, but I'm going to get my promises accelerated while you're still trying to figure it out. Um, now, Melchizedek was king of Salem, king of Jerusalem, okay? And Melchizedek was a king priest. He was both king and priest. He had governmental dominion over a region, but he had spiritual relationship and could intercede for people and speak blessings and prayer. He was a king of righteousness and king of peace. These are all the things that the scripture tells us. All right. Now, um, after, after Melchizedek walked on the, off the scene, there was not the same king priest brought together. Uzziah the king tried to go into the temple and offer incense, and they, the priest told him, you don't belong here because God has put a separation of powers between the king and the priest. And he said, no, no, I can do this. And then he went in there to offer, and he, came, and, and he got struck with leprosy right in the temple. And then they started pushing him out, and then he started running out on his own. There was no bringing back of a king priest until Jesus did it. Okay, these are really important things now, right? This is some good, just some good doctrinal teaching. All right, in his dispensation, there could be no kings and priests, but Revelation chapter 1 says that God has made you both king and priest. They, he didn't give that to them. But what they tried to get and couldn't have, God has given you. You are a king and priest. You are to exercise governmental dominion and authority in your realm, but you're also to offer up sacrifices that are acceptable to God. You're supposed to be a person of intercessory prayer through, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. All right? He is also... The third one on our list that we gave you um, on the five types of Christ is that he is the seed of Abraham. Now, there are multiple pictures of Christ embedded in the Abraham figure, which is why he, an understanding of his life is so pivotal to, to the New Testament believer, right? Abraham is so pivotal is so pivotal to the faith that there's, there's multiple different things that are embedded in him, right, in Abraham. Um, first, he is a type of Christ in you and your walk of faith as a New Testament believer. Um, so just like, just like, um, just like Abraham interacted with Melchizedek, then you as the seed of Abraham interact with Jesus, your priest after order Melchizedek. Because of those five types, go back to, uh, to our list of the five major types of Christ. Of those five that are listed there, only two were in the planet at the same time, and that is Melchizedek and Abraham, right? The rest of them were on scenes at different points in time. 
So the interaction between Abraham and Melchizedek is an interaction with Christ inside of you, with Christ that's in heaven. So you got all of these promises on the inside of you. And you need the blessing to be poured out from heaven. And there was no curse in any of that discussion, right? Um, as you tithe. All right, so that's one, that's one example. Let's look at that in Romans chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised. That's where we get in. He's the father of us, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Thank you, Jesus. I received that by faith. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So just like Abraham walked in faith, we also walk in the steps of faith. We have to believe without sense realm evidence. So shall your seed be. Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him as being righteous. All right. Abraham heard a word from God. Go to a land that I'll show you. And when he heard a word from God to go to some place, God, he went. Okay? So those steps of faith that he took, this scripture says that we're supposed to be walking in steps of faith like that too. That's why you don't make up your own assignment. You go where God sends you. You don't decide on your own that you're going to pick up and move someplace else. You don't do that. You don't do that. Not if you're going to be like Abraham. Now, if you just want to be like what you want to do, then just do you. But if you want to actually walk in all of the blessing that God has for you, then you got, to, you got to take the steps that your father Abraham took to walk, on all the, to walk in the blessing God gave him. All right? But there is another, another type of the seed of Abraham that we'd also have to consider when we think of types of Christ. We'd also have to consider Isaac as the seed, right? God made promise to Abraham and his seed. So part of it was how he interacted with Melchizedek, but it was also how Isaac interacted with Abraham is another type of this seed of Abraham statement. Let's look at Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. And it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Okay? He said he received him as being raised from the dead, in a figurative sense, okay? So that was a type itself of the, that was a type itself of the resurrection from the dead. So even though Isaac 
even though Isaac did not die, right? Even though Isaac wasn't killed and died, Abraham believed and received it by faith that I'm going to, I'm going to kill my son and God's going to raise him from the dead so that my promise can be fulfilled. Okay, so you see, then Isaac also has to be a type of Christ, doesn't he? Okay, so Isaac clearly in that in that sense, because because he the scripture says God gave Abraham the word and three days later he got to the place. Right. That was that where whereas whereas Jesus was killed and then the three days went. Isaac was brought to the altar after the three days because it's a type and shadow. It's not exactly the same, but it's a type and shadow. You get y'all got that, right? Okay. All right. Four, we said he is a prophet like Moses. Let's look at, we got two scriptures for that. John chapter one, and we'll read 19 through 21. John chapter one, verse 19 says, now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. But he actually was the spirit of Elijah that Malachi was prophesying about, which is why they were asking him. They were asking him the thing, and he said no, but he was really that person that that scripture prophesied about. Are you the prophet, that prophet? What prophet are they talking about? They weren't just talking about any prophet. They were saying, are you that prophet that Moses said would come? And he said, no. Now let's look at Acts chapter three, and we're going to read verses 22 and 23. And Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brother. And him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. All right? So Christ is that prophet. Not just a prophet, not just any prophet. Because there are Jews, not Jews, excuse me, there are Muslims that say Christ was a prophet. No, he's the prophet. He's not a prophet. You don't grasp the significance. He's not just one amongst many voices of God. He is the voice of God. And for those of you that have been through our foundations class, you know we have that Christ, he's a prophet, he's a king, he's all those things. These are those same revelations, right, that we grasp from Scripture, that he is a priest, he's a prophet, he's the last Adam, right? That's a whole, that's a new one that we haven't necessarily talked about, but it's very significant. It, it would fit in that same, same chapter that we did on, on Christ from a foundational standpoint, right? Hallelujah. All right. And whereas Moses was the prophet that knew God face to face and spoke di directly the word of God, Jesus is the face of God and he is the word of God itself. Yeah. All right. Finally, finally, the last one of these types is that he is the king that sits on the throne of David. He is the king that sits on the throne of David. And the throne of David sits in Jerusalem. 
Now, Pastor David, why are you, you know, making that point, putting a fine, a fine edge on that point? Because as David ruled over Jerusalem, Jesus Christ, the seed of David, the king on the throne of David, the son of David, rules in the new Jerusalem on a throne. Okay, do you see the type in the shadow and then the actuality? David had a throne. Jerusalem was the city of David that he ruled from. So Jesus Christ, as a king on a throne, rules from New Jerusalem. Now, we believe that New Jerusalem is a real place. It's not a figment of my imagination. It's a real place. Okay, now, that's important. I'm just, I'm putting stuff in there. Just hang that stuff, but you got to, it's a real place. There's a real throne that he sits on. These are not figments of our imagination. All right, now, we're betting our eternity on this stuff, so it's important that you believe it, (laughs) okay? All right, all right, now, Pastor David, why are you emphasizing that? Because if the scripture, if I show you that New Jerusalem is a city, and then the same book of Revelation that told me that the New Jerusalem is a city tells me that there's a city called Mystery Babylon, that I can't believe that that city is real and that city ain't. Because either both of them are real or they both or they both false. Okay? All right. Um Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 33. As David reigns over Jerusalem, so Jesus reigns over the new Jerusalem. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay, so these five major types of Christ that we see in the Old Testament are very pivotal to our study. Now, If there are types of Christ in the Old Testament, then there must also be types of the church. If there is a type of Christ, there must be types of the church that we can understand too. So let's look at this list of of the five types of the church that matched with these types of Christ. So let's look at this list. If Adam is a type of, a, of, the, of the church, then Eve must be a type, excuse me. If Adam is a type of Christ, then Eve must be a type of the church. If Adam is a type of, the, if Adam is a type of Christ, because Jesus is the last Adam, then Eve must be a type of the church. If Melchizedek is a type of Christ, then in that interaction, Abraham must be a type of the church, which is why I say we tithe to Jesus like Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And there's no curse in there. 
So I don't even have to go to Malachi and tithe. All right. That's for that's for TV in Jesus name. Right. If Abraham is a type of Christ, then Sarah is a type of the church. Okay. Or let's say if Isaac is a type of Christ, then Rebecca could also be a type of the church because after he was raised up off of that altar, it was after that that he married Rebecca. Why? Because it was after Jesus was raised from the dead that the Christ was initiated and we became the bride of Christ. Pastor David, you preaching real good. Yes, I am preaching good. There are these types. They're very important for you to understand. Okay. Now, if Moses is a type of Christ, then the children of Israel must be a type of the church. Okay. And then if David is a type of Christ, then the nation of Israel is a type of the church. The, da- the, the, the nation in David's time. All right. So there must be some things we can learn about who we are in the church from, from, from these people. Now, let's look at the first one. If Adam is a type of Christ, then Eve is a type of the church. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed, you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There was, there was Christ, there was the church. What the apostle Paul is telling us Just like Eve got deceived, the church can be deceived by the serpent. Ah, now I am, I am, um, in this passage of scripture, I am letting you peep my hold card. I'm telegraphing my punch. If there is a type of Christ in the church, then there must also be a type of the antichrist. Do you see it? If there's a type of Christ, there's a type of the church, there's a type of antichrist. Clearly, the serpent is antichrist in that passage of Scripture. Do you see that? Pastor David, why are you telling me this? Because what I told you is, is that the spirit of Christ was in the earth, and then physical Jesus Christ came into the earth. The spirit of Christ was in the earth before Jesus Christ came into the earth. The apostle Peter showed us that, didn't he? Okay. Now, John says that there are the spirit of Antichrist in the earth. What I'm telling you is that the spirit of Antichrist was in the earth, and then there's also going to be a physical Antichrist that comes to the earth. But we see the Antichrist in types and shadows just like we saw the Christ in the types and shadows. Because the Apostle Paul treated this passage of Scripture and said that just like Eve is a type of the church was deceived, the spirit of Antichrist can deceive you too. So you better watch yourself. All right? 
This is some good teaching, Pastor David. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I received that in Jesus' name. All right? All right. Um, so we already talked about Melchizedek as a type of church, as a type of Christ, then Abraham is a type of the church. Um, and we also talked about the fact that, now, um, notice with Abraham and Sarah, In the Moses day, the Antichrist, there was always some, some um, interruption, some static in the relationship between, between Christ and the church because of something Antichrist, right? So Abraham is, excuse me, Adam and Eve were fine. And then the serpent came, and then there was some static, okay? Um, Moses and the children of Israel, and then there's Pharaoh, okay? Abraham and Sarah, and then there was the king of the Philistines that wanted to marry her and took her away from the husband. Got it? So there is always, the Antichrist is always something that opposes Christ's relationship with the church. You can see that, right? You got to, I'm, I'm bringing you into my study time. I just chew on this stuff and I'm like, okay, if that's true, then that's got to be true. But this passage of scripture shows us that the church is doing one thing, Christ is doing one thing. And then there's some opposing, some opposition. All right. Um, our fourth one says, if Moses is a type of Christ, then the children of Israel are a type of the church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. And it says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate of the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Ah, okay. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, look, this is the verse that we want to, to tie into. Now, these things became our examples. Our who? The church, because they were a type of the church. So because they are a type of the church, we can look at stuff they did wrong and not do that. Because God is no more happy with what they did, and he won't be any happier if you do it than he was when they did. All right? Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not, whatever they did, lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. 
nor complain, nor complain. Oh, man, I don't want to do the sexual sin, the lusting and other stuff, but I got to watch being a complainer. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. As some of them also complain and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, see, see, I thought I thought I could just, you know, I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to do the sexual sin. But every once in a while, I had to wash my mouth because I can be a complainer. I didn't think that was that big a deal. Apparently, Jesus did. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. They were types and shadows of the church, weren't they? All right. They were types and shadows of the church, right? And then if David is a type of Christ, then the nation of Israel is a type of the church. And just like David led the nation of Israel to victory over all their enemies, so Jesus Christ is leading us to victory over all of our enemies too. And David said... The Lord said unto my Lord, sit you at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. When David handed the kingdom to Solomon, he had, he had vanquished every enemy. And they had peace all around them. Because David had fought and destroyed every enemy. So it is, Jesus must reign until we, the church, get victory on everything that faces us. Yeah, he ain't coming back for you just to beam you out of your problems. All right? He expects you to win and to have victory. All right? A few more things, and then we're going to stop here. Next week, we'll get into the fact that Satan has always wanted to assume position like, like God, and so then we'll see how the Antichrist figures into all these things. All right. And so what we want to be able to um, understand is that there are all these types and shadows of Christ that we saw in the Old Testament. And just like God gave us clues and signals about his first coming, that there are types and things that he's given us in the last books of the Bible to give us clues and insights to his second coming. That is an important point. I think I've gone as far as I'm going to go today. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen if the word bless you today.